Hello, I'm Dr. Sam Hancock of the Emerald Planet and Emerald Planet TV. We come to you on a week-to-week -week basis from Washington, D.C. in the United States as we look around the globe in 144 different nations looking for those thousand best practices, the technology, services, and products that are making a difference as we move through the 21st century. And as we have a planet of 9 billion people by 2038 and possibly 12 to 13 billion by the end of this century, how are we going to be able to take care of all these people on planet Earth? And that's what Emerald Planet's all about. We come to you looking at the solutions, the best practices from around the globe as we create the Emerald Planet. Hello, welcome to the Emerald Planet. We're making a difference as we move through the 21st century. Seeing the long term impacts of climate change. But we're glad to have you. Thank you for being with us. Looking around the globe for the best practices, we're always searching for how do we reach this younger generation that's coming on to inherit the earth at the same time to bring change as they are youth that will continue into their adulthood. And we have a gentleman coming on who's actually been doing that for well over a decade, actually most of his life. This is uh, William, goes by Bill H. Dent. He's the program manager of the Monarch Sister Schools program, also a directive, director of the Natural Partners. And so we're going to be talking about the Monarch Butterfly and why it's so important and what it can teach our current generations, but also the elder generations who are centered around these children at home, communities of faith, and in the communities themselves. So Bill, welcome back to the Emerald Planet TV. Dr. Sam, it's a great pleasure to be with you again. Thanks for oh, having me. Always good to have you. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Monarch Sister Schools program. Well, the Monarch Sister Schools program actually operates in the United States and Mexico. We started to involve the next generation in uh, a significant challenge we face with the declining population of our pollinators. Mm -hmm. so, well, looking at the uh, the monarch uh, program, why the monarchs? What's so special about them that would uh, become a focus of your most of your adult career in, in many different ways? But also the fact is you're expanding it through all NAFTA, Canada, the United States and Mexico. Well, first of all, uh, there's a good reason why the monarch has the name monarch. It is one of the most uh, beautiful butterflies, and it's the only one in North America that migrates. And as you say, it's shared by three countries, Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And it's famous for its migration, um, starting in southern Canada, and then around October, uh, heading to central Mexico, and it's really a bridge between the countries. Yeah, and it's really, it's incredible what it does. But looking at the, the monarch butterfly, we're gonna talk about the life cycle. Why is the life cycle so important for the students and the teachers to understand? And what does that really mean as far as the climate is concerned? Yes, well, interestingly, uh, when children arrive at school, the beginning of September, maybe the end of August. Uh, it's precisely the time when the monarchs are 
back uh, on the eastern sea seaboard of the U.S. And uh, they can literally go out into their pollinator garden if they have one. And if they don't, we help them create one and look for larva. And in this photo on this slide, you can see a monarch larva. It's one of the uh, prettiest of caterpillars, mm -hmm. okay? And they can look for them under the leaves of the host plant, which is milkweed. And we'll be talking more about milkweed. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for the kids to actually, uh, they can collect some of the caterpillars on the leaves, bring them inside, and raise them. And ultimately, after they go through the metamorphosis and emerge as a butterfly, they can release them. And this is the generation that will travel to Mexico. This is absolutely fantastic. Now, looking at the uh, the larvae stage, uh, we're going to go through each of these. And uh, why is that so important as far as the larva stage is concerned? And what do we need to really understand about this stage so that we start to heal mother nature in ways that we've literally destroyed it over the last hundred or so years with all the chemicals. Yeah. So uh, the reason why there's been such a decline in the population of the monarchs is that they've lost uh, their host plant. Uh, all butterflies and moths have a host plant. In the case of the monarch, it is milkweed, the various varieties of milkweed. And with uh, the invention of Roundup and Roundup ready species of wheat, uh, corn, soybeans, uh, farmers started spraying uh, Roundup or the equivalent uh, on their crops. And that mm -hmm. wiped out the milkweed. And in wi milk wiping out the milkweed, it wiped out the monarchs, a large part of their population. So we had about over 90% of American farms, the acreage, is actually sprayed with uh, Roundup or the equivalent nice. uh, mm -hmm. on Roundup-ready varieties of soybeans and corn. Uh, so we lost a lot of that native habitat, and that had a huge impact on the population of the monarchs. And there's similar things happening to other pollinators. Now, looking at these various stages, let's go through these, Bill, because this is really uh, very important, and we want our audiences to understand this. And then when we get to the, the monarch butterfly itself, why is it so important that we do protect its habitat? Mm -hmm. Well, um, we can always look at it from a self-interest point of view. Uh, pollinators are important for the production of at least 60% of uh, our plant foods, you know, the food that we consume or that animals consume. And, uh, well, as I said, the butterfly, the monarch, is a pollinator and it is important in the, our food production, but also it's a beautiful creature. And, you know, we really want to take care of our fellow creatures. And at my church, for example, we talk about taking care, being good stewards of God's creation. <laughs> I think that's very important. And also we have to realize uh, even though we're humans, that we depend so much on all of the the creatures around us. These are plants, animals, and also the mi microscopic uh, beings that are in the earth. And without all that food chain for humans, 
uh, we would cease to exist. So it's very, very important to have that. Looking at this migration to Mexico, this is something that's very fascinating. We've uh, been part of that. I'm just showing uh, where the migration is. I'm going to go back up now uh, to look at this scene with the children. Why is it so important to have the Mexican children involved in the same project that we're doing here with so many different schools in the mid-Atlantic states and throughout the country? Well, it's really beautiful to be able to connect the children here in the U.S with the children in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And it's really the monarch that makes that possible. Here are the children who have raised these monarchs in their classrooms, and the day has come for them to release them. And these are the very uh, butterflies that have the long-lived generation. They live nine months. It's called the Methuselah generation. Mm -hmm. And they're going to make the 2,000-mile journey literally wing it down to Mexico, and they've never been there before. The most amazing thing about the monarchs is that they have a built-in navigation capability, and they will go to the same groves of trees where their great-great-grandparents were the year before. And now, looking at these, uh, yeah. these butterflies right here, Bill, mm -hmm. uh, this is a, a scene in Washington, D.C. area. It's a scene yes. in Mexico. Uh, what is the significance of this uh, slide, but these photographs? Well, it's an amazing connection with nature because these children literally are at the starting end of a 2,000 mile journey that these butterflies are going to make. And they will have a chance to communicate with the children down in Mexico and know in early November when these butterflies, not these very same individuals, but you know, will have arrived down there. And they usually arrive around the 2nd of November, the early November, mm -hmm. which is the Day of the Dead. But uh, it's wonderful that these children have the opportunity to be part of an amazing natural phenomenon, which is the migration. That's absolutely, and this is the migration we're looking at here and how you have this very broad basin coming out of Canada uh, different parts of the Midwest and the northern climes of the United States heading down into Mexico. Uh, this is absolutely a pristine area. I've been with you twice uh, down to the uh, World Heritage Site for UNESCO. Tell us about the trees that are there. And in the background, we see uh, mountains without trees. Why is that a real problem? Yeah, well, that's precisely um, how or why I originally got involved. I've worked a lot with uh, forestry and restoration of habitat, but um, it's a problem there. I had heard uh, about the illegal logging that was going on, and uh, there are a number of groups that are working to address that issue, including the government of Mexico. Uh, the reserve was created uh, some 20 years ago to provide a level of protection. Yeah, but there's still a lot of tension due to economic interest. The most recent threat being the expansion of avocado production. Mm -hmm. uh, people are cutting down trees to plant avocados. And these are the forests that the monarchs rely on. This is, they love the OML trees, which are at the higher altitudes, fortunately. 7,500 feet higher. Mm -hmm. 
but the the forest is vital overwintering habitat the monarchs have two types of habitat their breeding habitat is in the u.s and canada and then they're a tropical butterfly so they have to get away from the cold winters their eggs won't survive the winter so they go down to mexico and uh somehow who knows how long ago they picked this volcanic range which is between the two sierra madres and uh, they love the oml trees and here you can see on the left monarchs literally hanging out as i say you know we use that expression they had mm -hmm. kids gonna hang out yeah they're hanging out literally hanging on the branches of the oml tree but in the afternoon when it warms up uh they will fly around and they joyously frolic in the sun and they look for flowers there are lots of flowers in these forests so yeah. that provides the nectar they need to fuel them now back to the uh, spring migration there so they overwinter they're uh, they're going north and we're about running out of time bill sure. uh, but this uh, migration north what do we need to do and this is a quick answer for this mm -hmm. what do we have to do to make sure we protect it so they can winter and then get back to the north yeah around the middle of march uh they'll head north and it's the very same butterflies that headed south it's the nine month living butterfly and they will get as far as texas where the females will lay their eggs and that will be the next generation that makes a relay race heading north as far as there is milkweed and in this uh slide you can see a dotted line just above the great lakes that's as far as there is milkweed and they will go that far north mm -hmm. and yes. they will spend the summer and it's precisely the prairie lands and all the places where there used to be very abundant milkweed I, as i can remember as a child that restoration efforts are needed and we're trying to do that through the schools that participate with us others are helping farmers to set aside some areas to be you know uh -oh, native habitat uh, all with native species and there's some information on our program we do habitat restoration we use it to educate and create awareness and we conduct a cultural exchange between the schools in the u.s and mexico and, and we hope in the future in canada too fantastic bill dent of the monarch sister schools program as we create the emerald Permit. We're talking about the monarch butterflies and why they are the proverbial canary in the coal mine and giving us an indication with a 90% decrease in the number of monarchs, what we have to do to protect the future. But the future really belongs to the youth. And we have someone on, this is Molly O. Hoops, who is the Baltimore area coordinator for the Monarch Sister Schools program. She's also part of the Baltimore City Recreation and Parks Department. And she's going to be telling us why the parks and the monarchs are both so important. Molly, welcome to the Emerald Planet TV. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. And uh, looking at the city of Baltimore, why are the parks so important and why have the special program concerning the monarch butterflies? Well, studies have shown that students do better in school if they go out into nature and they've shown lots of mental health and physical health benefits to, especially to children. 
So we're trying to get children out into nature as much as possible, even though it's a city. We have a large park, park system, bike trails, kayaks, all kinds of things. That's and the Monarch Sister Schools program helps get the students out into nature. Yeah, that's amazing program that you have all that right in the city of Baltimore, which is what we call a legacy city. It's been around a long time. Uh, but also I understand from you that you have the third largest park city and uh, program in the United States. Third largest urban park system. And I work at Silburn Arboretum, which is 300 acres. Um, and we have bike, we have trails, we have gardens. Um, we have a sustainable building that's a green building for conferences. That's just absolutely incredible uh, what you're doing. But here we have this uh, great photograph of the monarch. Why is the monarch so revered and really is looked upon as truly uh, the king and queen of the pollinators? Well, the monarch butterfly is the longest living butterfly in the whole world. Mm -hmm. The ones that live in the wintertime that go down to Mexico, first of all, they have the longest migration of any insect in the world. And they travel close to 3,000 miles to Mexico for the winter. And they spend the whole winter in the forest in the mountains of Mexico. And then they start to head back again. So that particular generation of the monarchs lives about eight months, whereas most butterflies will only live about three weeks. That is absolutely incredible. What, what a history. Uh, this is something that I've never seen before, never even heard of it uh, to Baltimore, but this outdoor bill of rights. And uh, I know there's a, a lot of information here, but just go through the highlights of why an outdoor bill of rights and what are some of the key points of this outdoor bill of rights? Well, this outdoor bill of rights for Baltimore was written up in May of 2019. There are several other states that have Bill of Rights, but this is basically listing just basic things that kids should be allowed to do. Go out in nature, swim in the streams, um, you know, climb trees. Some of the Bill of Rights have climbed trees on there, go fishing, go hunting. This one doesn't have that, but it has all kinds of things that children should basically be allowed to do because it helps them grow and, you know, be healthy. Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, you have this superimposed on a photograph of uh, Baltimore but you have this most beautiful park right in front of us. If I was walking through one of the parks in Baltimore, what would I see? What would be, become very apparent about your park system? Well, we have a lot of trees in Baltimore. Um, that's one thing, and we've actually mapped every single tree in all the parks in Baltimore City, so they know exactly how many trees there are. They're, they're constantly planting more trees, and and in fact, I even I just bought a house, and I even applied to get a free tree planted in the in between my sidewalk and the street. So anybody in the city can do that. But in the parks, you see lots of trees and native plants and birds and insects. I tell you, it's absolutely fantastic. Now, uh, looking at this, as far as Department of Recreation and Parks, this is an app uh, for someone's phone. Uh, why have this? How are you connecting your publics, meaning youth all the way to the elderly, and everybody in between to the parks. Well, we have all kinds of programs going on and people just have to go on the website, find something that interests them and click on it. We had a free summer camp this summer, 45 students at 11 different sites. And we had specialists come in and teach various workshops. And there's all kinds of virtual activities and lots of links to other programs like STEM programs, 
that people can do online to supplement their school. Yeah, I think this this is uh, really great. Looking at the uh, educational materials you have, these are really very well done. So uh, the Monarch Sister Schools program, how does that help you in the city of Baltimore as far as the educational materials and getting the youth out into the parks, into nature, so that they can enjoy all the various benefits? Well, this is a curriculum that we use with the Monarch Sister Schools program, and we sell the books to schools that want to join Monarch Sister Schools program, and we give them a copy as part of their membership, but it has all kinds of lessons basically from kindergarten up to high school even. And there are all kinds of lessons they can do as far as growing monarch butterfly larvae, planting a garden, studying the migration, you know, just basically learning about the whole life cycle of the monarch butterfly. Yeah, and that's really very important because those are very important lessons. And I know that you have this next generation science standards and uh, those are very important. So looking at this, how are you incorporating those standards into these educational materials? Well, the, the next generation science standards, which actually were adopted by Maryland as the common core state standards, they include things like life cycles of insects, life cycles of plants, pollination, um, you know, just basically how do humans affect the environment. So all those different standards are actually addressed by many of these lessons. And, you know, all about, even if it's all about just learning about monarch butterflies, their migration, their metamorphosis, how people are affecting their environment, you know, affecting the monarch butterflies, it's all included in many, many standards. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's absolutely uh, fantastic. Now, the uh, interdependent relationships for ecosystems, uh, what is the, the broad message that you're trying to get across through this? I know this is uh, very difficult for uh, some of our viewers to see, but I thought it was very important because we're really talking about the educational materials, lesson plans. How does this relate directly into the classroom, uh, to the teachers, and by extension to the students themselves? Well, in Baltimore City, teachers are required to write up a lesson plan every day, and they have to explain which objectives they're meeting. And these are just, that picture is just examples of some of the objectives that can be met through these Monarch lessons. So the teachers have to, you know, they have to justify why they're teaching a certain thing and how it, you know, how it fits in with the standards. Mm -hmm. And the monarch butterfly is sort of a symbol of how we affect the environment, how we can save the monarch butterfly, and in so doing, save all kinds of other creatures that live in their same environment. And they're in a different environment here than they are in Mexico, so we can learn all about lots of different ecosystems while we're studying the monarch. That, that is absolutely fantastic. Now, this is really a cute photograph of a child actually out in nature. Why is it so important that they need to be out physically in nature, not sitting in the house all day, video games, watching TV, whatever? Good pursuits, but why do they really do need to be out into nature? Well, as I said before, there have been lots and lots of studies that show that children do much better in school and they have much better mental health and more well-adjusted if they get out into nature. But you can see that little boy is playing with the monarch, I mean, the milkweed pod and mm -hmm. taking out the little, you know, the seed pods. And you can learn so much more about something by touching it, feeling it, taking it apart, interacting with it than just reading about it. I mean, you don't really understand nature unless you're actually out there, you know, interacting with it. Yeah. And the other slide is showing lots of different bugs that live on milkweed. 
So even while we're learning about monarch butterflies, we're learning about all kinds of other insects and the whole ecosystem itself. And the whole thing about the uh, milkweed, it really is its own ecosystem within itself, correct? Oh yeah, there's lots and lots of insects that depend on the milkweed. And so this is something we want to get back. Now the educational program, okay, this is a very urban site here in the Legacy City. What are they actually learning about nature uh, being in such a built environment? Well, they have raised the monarch um, butterflies that are in that cage from larvae, and then they're about to release them and they've tagged some of them. So they're actually going to be able to track whether they made it all the way to Mexico or not um, by checking online for the numbers. So they're, the students are about to release the butterflies so they can head their, on their journey to Mexico. So it's sort of not just, you're not just learning about monarch butterflies, they're also learning to care for the environment and to, you know, not just hold on to the monarch as a pet, they're actually releasing it to let it go about, you know, its journey all the way to Mexico. Now we have these children here, the, the very healthy, cute, very inquisitive. You can see all this as far as their actions and how they're really looking at the teacher, the monarch butterflies themselves getting ready for the release. But yet they have uh, other children, their own similar age, all the way into Mexico. Why is this very lesson we're looking at right here with these children so much involved, yet they're so connected with the same age and the same classes in Mexico itself? Well, one of the things the Monarch Sister Schools program does besides providing larvae and cages for the teachers, they also can connect the students with the students in Mexico through Skype programs and Zoom programs and they can actually talk to the kids in Mexico and ask questions. And it's important that, you know, the kids in the United States realize the kids in Mexico are just human beings, just like themselves. And, right. you know, everybody is, con they're connected through the phenomenon of the monarch butterfly migrating. So they're really learning, you know, about the rest of the world, basically through the monarch butterfly. An interesting thing about this, Molly, is actually you're putting on the wings, uh, these uh, little stickers and tracers. So it's actually the, the monarchs are being released by the students here, which they've raised from larvae. And then they'll go to Mexico. And then as they're nesting up into Oyamel Forest, the Mexican students then are looking for the butterflies and these tracers. Uh, that's exactly. really a very interesting concept of uh, doing that. That's wonderful. Okay, what are we seeing here? And again, in nature, why it's so important. And these are people look, this is a naturalist and a, a student basically looking for monarch larvae on the milkweed plants. This is actually on Hartmiller Island State Park, which is in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay. And they're learning all about, you know, the monarch butterflies and what kind of insects live on the island where it's a very protective ha protected habitat there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can't really learn as much by looking at a picture of a butterfly as by actually finding a larvae, seeing the eggs. Sometimes I've got, we've actually gotten to see the butterfly lay eggs on the milkweed. And then, you know, they're just getting very, the kids get very excited. And I've seen students that don't do very well in a classroom in, you know, in a situation where they have to read and write a lot, but they, they really, you know, flourish when they're outside and able to be active. Mm -hmm. Their brain just, you know, just works better. Yeah. And the whole thing about it, all this greenery and the fresh air and all that really adds to it. Now, uh, find their food. I'm going to uh, go through this. Uh, but this is actually all the way down in uh, Mexico. Why is it so important to have this uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site and allow this preserve to be protected for the monarchs? And we got to be quick because well, we're almost out of time. 
Yes, like you were saying, there are only 10% left of the monarchs, but they need that OML forest. It's a unique habitat. It has flowers that bloom all winter long for them to drink. Most of the flowers are endemic and only live in that area. And the OML trees radiate heat from their trunk. So they're the perfect kind of tree for the monarchs to hang out in in the winter to keep warm. That's absolutely fantastic. This is Molly O. Hoops, Baltimore Area Coordinator, Monarch Sister Schools Program. Thank you for being with us as we create the Emerald Planet. Looking at the monarch butterflies, they truly are the canary in the coal mine as far as what's going on in Mother Nature and the heavy impact that climate change is having on everything on planet Earth. And we need to prepare the next generations, but at the same time to sensitize and educate them as what needs to be done. And a gentleman we have with us, William, he goes by Bill H. Dent, he's the program manager the Monarch Sister School Program, and also the Executive Director of Natural Partners. Bill, welcome back to the Emerald Planet TV. Dr. Sam, it's always great to be with you. Thanks for having me again. And the work you're doing is absolutely outstanding. But tell us about Natural Partners and why did uh, your organization actually create the Monarch Sister Schools Program? Okay, well, first of all, Natural Partners, um, actually began in 2003 uh, it was got its start in brazil and there the idea was to bring together environmentalists with the business community uh, there they had been at loggerheads they weren't speaking with one another and i always felt there was common ground so uh, we made that happen and did some significant work on the atlantic rainforest then uh, a few years later i happened to have an intern from Mexico is doing his degree in environmental law at American University. And I said to him, find out what's happening to the forest. I've heard they're logging the forest where the monarchs go, the beloved monarchs. And he found out and it happened to be World Wildlife Fund and uh, worked with them. And But I realized that we really needed to involve the next generation, the young people. Who are going to inherit some of the mess that we've left and um so this has been uh the whole basic idea behind the monarch sister schools program and why the monarch and it's because um there's a real environmental problem that we're losing our pollinators uh, we've had a major drop in our pollinators in the case of the monarchs their populations dropped 95 percent over the last few decades now, looking at the pollinator gardens and way stations, this is something that's really important uh, to have, but why is it important to have such pollinator gardens? And really, what are they? Okay, well, pollinators, like other wildlife, need habitat. And we humans have managed to decimate much of their habitat. In the case of the monarch butterfly uh, here in North America, about 90% of the farmlands use a form of Roundup, mm -hmm. which wipes out the native plants and only leaves the Roundup ready varieties of corn and soybeans. So the whole idea as the first part of our program is let's start restoring habitat and let's involve the kids 
the students at the schools. Mm -hmm. So we plant pollinator gardens to provide our pollinators with what they need, uh, their native plants. Mm -hmm. Now, looking at the various varieties, you really focus on native species. One, why native species? And secondly, why such a wide variety of vegetation you're putting in both the pollinator gardens and the way stations? Yeah, well, um, our native pollinators prefer native plants, that is plants that, are, that were always in this area. That's what they originally liked. And it's good to have a variety because some flower at different times of the year. That's a good thing because uh, pollinators need nectar to sustain themselves, whether it's um, a hummingbird, a butterfly, or the various types of bees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, looking at the uh, some of these, uh, again, waste stations and pollinator gardens, uh, we're just showing some of the plants that are in there. What is so important about these plants that have been selected uh, to be in these two forms of ways of taking care of the pollinators? Well, this, for example, the red columbine is a native species. It's a perennial. It'll come back every year, which is good. Doesn't rely on humans replanting annuals. Um, we give preference to those that provide abundant nectar. And uh, one of the things that most of our pollinator gardens will have at least a dozen different species. Mm -hmm. We, and that's, there are certain requirements that go into getting the certification as a waste station. And I think everyone captures the concept of, because in the case of the monarchs in particular, they move from place to place. Mm -hmm. So these are little islands that we've restored of native habitat with native plants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's really interesting. Uh, you have the various types of milkweed. You only think of milkweed as a almost a monolithic plant, but it really there's uh, different varieties of those. But uh, looking at the planting of the milkweed and having the schools involved, why match these two up? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, it creates awareness. But above all, we want to connect children with nature. Most kids these days are on their devices or video games or whatever. And they've lost the connection that you and I had when we were growing up with nature. It was just there and we went out and enjoyed it. So uh, we're bringing nature to the school and it's an opportunity for them to get to know, well, what, uh, get to know about plants, what's a host plant, why are these plants important? What's the connection between the plants and the animals? Uh, and this happened to be the first school in Southeast Washington where we planted our first garden. Mm -hmm. And this was a particular interesting one. Not only did it have the plants necessary, but we made it, designed it in the format layout of a butterfly. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. Now, looking at the these host plants and we see the various activities that the uh, children are doing right now. Uh, what are what are they doing and why is it important? Yeah, well, as it says at the top, uh, this is a part of the garden where there's a stand of common milkweed. Common milkweed happens to be the favorite of the various varieties of milkweed. And the previous slide showed 
swamp milkweed. Uh, milkweed, all of them are host plants to the monarchs. It just happens to be that the females do prefer the common milkweed and the larvae thrive on it. And the leaves are very big, so there's plenty to eat mm -hmm. and they need a lot to eat. <laughs> They're very hungry, and uh, and the students. It looks like they're doing their daily logs and looking uh, at the larvae and uh, how they're expanding and growing, and then eventually looking, of course, for the monarchs to come out of their their growth pattern. But tying in Mexico, why tie Mexico together uh, with the schools in Washington D.C., uh, Southern Maryland, and Northern Virginia? Sure. Well. The monarch is a shared species. Uh, it's the only migrating butterfly in North America. So it's shared by Canada, US and Mexico. And the monarchs actually spend half of their time in Mexico, about four and a half months. Mm -hmm. So they migrate down there, uh, leaving late September, early October, arrive in Mexico, right around the day of the dead, the beginning of November. And uh, it's a wonderful bridge uh, across peoples. Instead mm -hmm. of building walls, we like to build bridges, right? Well, and the monarchs are perfect at that because they don't worry about walls anyway. They can fly over. No, they can and fly right over them. They keep going. <laughs> now, looking at these schools as uh, tree nurseries, this is, I think, is a, a brilliant idea. It's a wonderful concept. Why have the nurseries at the schools? But first of all, what is a tree nursery? A tree nursery is literally where the seeds that are collected from various varieties of trees, native trees, um, are germinated. And then they go through a few stages uh, from seedling to sapling till they're large enough to actually be taken up and to reforest, to replant an area of the monarch biosphere reserve. There's a reserve that was created over 20 years ago, uh, specifically because that's the forest where the monarchs go in the winter. And amazingly, they find their ways back to the very same groves of trees. Now, looking at this, these are OMLs, and this is the, the tree that the monarchs seem to like the best. So mm -hmm. why have this and not other native species in the nurseries at the schools? We actually raise anywhere from four to six different species. They're all conifers, um, various types of pines and firs. O OML is actually a type of fir tree. Um, so even though it doesn't show here, we do work with uh, several different native species. Mm -hmm. And it's very important because we're also teaching children about sustainable forestry. Mm -hmm. Parts of the reserve are no-touch zones that have to be preserved because those are the areas where the monarchs go specifically. But the surrounding areas, the buffer zone, is commercially exploitable. And the local communities depend on commercial forestry, uh, sustainable forestry. What are, what are these students actually learning by planting the trees themselves? And how does that carry over to what they take home to their parents, their grandparents, and the people within their local communities there in Mexico? Well, these are rural communities. So they are tending, this is an activity that can be of commercial and you know economic interest to them. 
Um, and again, it's a connection with nature because if they live in one of the local towns, they may not have really ever been out to the forest. As a matter of fact, we found that over 95% of the students had never gone up to see the monarchs up in the sanctuaries, as they're called, in the reserve where they gather by the millions. Yeah, and this is something that I found uh, most amazing when we went with you several years ago that none of the parents, zero, none of the parents had been to the World Heritage Site, which is literally almost next door to some of their homes. And uh, so we invited them to join us there and they just loved it. And it seems like it's made a huge change. Looking at these students working together, what other skills, and we gotta be quick, Bill, we're running out of time. So what other skills are they learning at the same time they're planting these uh, OML trees? Well, the whole idea of working as a team preparing the job in advance. They have to organize the uh, saplings that are gonna be planted. Uh, they need to understand that this the timing that has to be done at the beginning of the rainy season. And they get to see that, you know, what you plant today may not come to fruition for many years, but today is the best day to plant that tree. Absolutely. All right, we're going to go out. You've got about 10 seconds. Why is it important to have the teachers going back and forth through these uh, programs, uh, sister schools, sister school, United States and Mexico? Okay. Well, for many of the teachers, they have a passion for the monarchs. They've had that integrated into their curriculum. And to actually go there and go up and see in the sanctuary the millions of butterflies is something very special for them. But just as importantly, seeing the local children with whom we do the cultural exchange is a very moving experience for them. Yes, this is uh, Bill Dent of the Monarch Sister School program as we look around the globe to create the Emerald Planet. We're looking at Baltimore City, which is in the state of Maryland, and they have a fantastic recreation and parks program. And it's part of and incorporated into the educational system, the Department of Education, and it has the next generation science standards. These are very important and also a focus on STEM and STEAM. And we're going to describe what both of those are. We have Molly O'Hoops. She is the Baltimore Area Coordinator for the Monarch Sister Schools Program. And Molly, welcome to the Emerald Planet TV. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Talk about a little bit Baltimore City, its recreation and parks, and why it's so important, but how is it directly relinked to education within Baltimore City? Well, we use the parks a lot to teach students. We have programs at Sylvan Arboretum. We have programs at the Rawlings Conservatory. Um, most of the recreation centers have some outdoor program uh, programs as well to teach students about nature and just get them, you know, feel like they're they're a part of something, like they're a part of a bigger world. Yeah, that's really important. Now, talking about STEM and STEAM, what are these uh, two acronyms? What do they stand for? And how do you go about integrating art into uh, STEM so that you actually end up with STEAM? 
Well, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. And we've been trying to incorporate all the subjects in, you know, into the Baltimore City Schools. And there are all kinds of extra programs that Baltimore City Recreation and Parks is offering, are offering mostly online for students. And the A in STEAM, of course, it stands for art. But what I do is I add art activities to help teach students about nature and to just get them involved in hands-on discovery lessons, which start out as art and somehow trick them into learning science. I think it's fantastic. Uh, this is really a cute uh, photograph you sent to me, and we did a a uh, close up of the little animal that was produced down here. And we're going to show you different types of art. Why a different medium of art uh, to put that into the STEM? Well, I try to vary my lessons from like two dimensional art lessons and three dimensional. And this is a hands-on activity with beads. And some students just learn a lot just by manipulating, you know, the beads, especially special needs students. But this is a this is an insect that they created out of beads and pipe cleaners. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have them make little caterpillars. We could make paper mache chrysalids. We could make butterflies out of, you know, pipe cleaners and clear plastic. So it's basically a hands-on activity. And they can invent their own insects, but in the process, we'll all learn all about the bugs and the parts of an insect, and we look at various, you know, insects as well. So it's, I usually make it into a science lesson and an art lesson, all all wrapped in, up in one. This is very very clever, uh, but I really love this photograph. You can just see how engrossed this young student is. And tell us, they may be in the classroom, uh, they may be moving around, you know, they get bored and all that. But obviously, this young lady is really into her artwork. Why is art so important to learn the hard sciences? Well, absolutely. When students are doing something like this, they actually learn to focus better mm -hmm. and they can actually concentrate. They have to make decisions, they have to solve problems, and they just basically, you know, learn how to manipulate the materials. But in the process, they're learning you know, all different things that can actually be applied to doing experiments, can be applied to any other kind of education that they're doing. But it really it really causes them to concentrate. Yeah, and having this, I mean, uh, I don't know if this is clay or, or actually dough, but it's really interesting is that you really allow them to use their own creativity, uh, not only as far as the subject matter, but also the medium as well as the colors. How do you do that so that they feel like they really are expressing their inner self through a piece of artwork. Well, this is actually a sugar cookie that they decorated. We were learning about butterflies. And so basically I provide a lot of materials. I have a, I have a plan in mind, but I always give them lots of flexibility to be creative because I think that's, you know, that's just very important. And I can have the same activity, 15 kids, and each one makes something entirely different out of the same exact instructions and the same materials. So it's kind of exciting to see, you know, how everybody comes up with a different plan for how to tackle their project. So what you're doing is you're allowing them to innovate, create, and use new materials that maybe they've never even seen before. Exactly. And also it fits in with the next generation science standards, which, which require um, being able to like use materials and being able to make a model of a natural phenomenon or make a model you know, of something in nature. So they're, they're kind of doing this with the, you know, with the cookies. I do lots of creative snacks with students mm -hmm. and it's just like an art activity. They just that's, get to eat it in the end. <laughs> that's really fantastic. Now this is quite sophisticated. This is really 
a uh, beautifully done piece of art uh, with the monarch butterfly and the flower and all that. So we can see the uh, sophistication. I'm going to go back over these three uh, slides that you shared with us. But I mean, it's in the same class. You're allowing them to use their own creativity, different medium. So when you see something this complex as far as this flower and the monarch butterfly, what is that telling you? What's the feedback you are getting visually uh, from the students about this kind of opportunity? Well, first of all, they can really concentrate and they're actually using, this picture is actually showing the life cycle of the monarch butterfly. You can see it has the caterpillar, it has the chrysalis, it has the butterfly, it has the flowers of the milkweed, it has the pods of the milkweed. So it's basically showing the life cycle of the plant and of the, you know, and of the insect. Yeah, this is really very sophisticated and it's quite beautiful. I hope the student took it home and uh, the adults in the home actually would frame that and have that from now on. That's a beautiful piece. But then we have, uh, you know, something that's much more simple. What is a student learning in this? Uh, although we think it's very simple, yet there's some profound lessons in what we're looking at right here. Well, this is just a map of North America, and I use this in my lessons to teach about the monarch butterfly, but I let the students color in a little cutout of a butterfly. You can see those on there, and then they can come up to the map, try to find Baltimore or some other area that they know and stick it on with, you know, double-sided tape, and then basically we end up creating, you know, a migration path from Baltimore down to Mexico so they can see where the butterfly goes, but they're not just looking at a map of where the butterfly goes, they're actually creating it by walking up and putting their sticker on after they colored it in. So I think it's a more of a hands-on way for them to study the migration route for young yeah, students. I, I thought this was brilliant when I saw this. I've never seen this before as an art project or any way to explain the migration uh, patterns of the monarch butterfly. So I think this is a very clever way for them to learn it. And once they have this visualization, this is something 50 years from now, some of these kids will actually remember this very lesson because it was something that they helped to create, but also it's a very intuitive way to learn about the migration patterns. Now, this is another type of game. So explain this to us. So this is a game that I do with students also. It's called a monarch migration board game. And basically, I just give them a piece, each a piece of paper. They make a little, you know, they put the pathway on there. They draw pictures, flowers, trees. Sometimes we make three-dimensional trees out of paper bags, or we make, you know, flowers out of construction paper. They make their own little markers out of corks or toilet paper tubes with a colored-in butterfly on top that they glue on. They make their own cards. So they have to make cards telling things that monarchs need, like, like flowers. Somebody planted flowers, move ahead three spaces or they write, somebody cut down a tree in Mexico, move back three spaces. So they, they have to you know, study the hazards and the needs of the butterflies while they're making the game. This is just wonderful. Uh, another game. Yeah, so I let them decide how to make the game, whether on a big piece of paper, lots of little pieces of paper, they make up the rules. You know, they can, if they can't read and write very well, if it's like kindergartners, they can just write plus three and draw a picture of a flower, for example or minus two, draw a picture of a, a bird trying to eat the butterfly, something like that. Now, again, going back to concentration, the students being very involved in the artwork, what are we seeing here? And what do you think these young girls are seeing through their own eyes when they're doing this type of complex artwork? 
Well, this is in, actually in Mexico. I was teaching a class at on market day in Orondin, but the students are basically trying to draw what they're looking at, looking at the flower, you know, try, they're counting the leaves, they're seeing whether they're alternate leaves or whether they're straight across, they're looking at the parallel veins. You know, they're trying to figure out what kinds, you know, all the little details of the flower, how many petals, whether it's male flower, female flower, you know, look at the stamens, look at the pistils. So they're, they're learning all about the flower just by looking at it. Yeah, this is absolutely incredible, the complexity of what they're doing, yet it looks very simple. And yet at the same time, it's a very profound. Now, I believe this is you. Uh, you're talking with the Mexican students. So how are you helping them with their lessons? Uh, you're in English, they're speaking in Spanish, but yet there seems to be a, a warm communication between the three of you. Well, this was actually at the Monarch Festival that um, in Ocampo at the end of the trip that we took to Mexico with the Monarch Sister Schools program, but the, we had all kinds of lessons and different people teaching classes about the forest and about the butterfly. So I was trying to let them, help them realize how important the, their ecosystem is and what flowers grow in their area that grow nowhere else. So I brought in some flowers and they were drawing pictures of them and learning, you know, just learning about the flowers. And, you know, yes, it, the art is kind of like a, universal medium. You don't necessarily have to speak the same language to, you know, to get your message across. Well, and also too, uh, let me stay on this slide right now. What are you learning from this experience yourself that you then take back into the classroom or out in the parks and recreation facilities that you're teaching the American students that you actually learned in this classroom in Mexico? Well, first of all, some people assume that boys don't like flowers, and that's just not true. <laughs> so I did find that, you know, I found that boys are able to enjoy flowers and draw pictures of flowers just as well as girls are. It doesn't matter their age. Um, and, that you know, they're just able to concentrate. And these students, they spend a lot of time outside because mm -hmm. the place in Mexico where we go, the climate is always perfect, and their, their classrooms are even basically open-air classrooms. And they mm -hmm. seem to be able to concentrate and better and be more relaxed than kids in the city that don't get outside. So that's why one reason I'm trying to get kids outside more. I think it helps them relax and stay calm mm -hmm. and focus. Yeah, and that's something they need to carry into adulthood. And I think this is just a priceless uh, photograph, but we're running out of time. I'm gonna leave this up because I just, I just love this. What is she looking at? What is she learning? And you have about 30 seconds to do all of that from this photograph. So this is in the conservatory in Druid Park. And what I, I was teaching them about tropical plants and they were drawing them. But what I do is I put a little plastic tadpole inside the bromeliad so they can, and we talk about how the poison dart frog lays its eggs on the floor of the forest and carries the tadpole up and deposits the tadpole in the bromeliad and then hops in to feed the tadpole. Whenever the tadpole gets hungry, the male poison dart frog goes and gets the mom and brings her back to lay an egg to feed the tadpole. No, it's just, so it's just about life cycles. yeah, I tell you, it's just incredible uh, what it is you're doing. Uh, we only have a, a few seconds. What do you see for the growth of your program over the next five, 10 or 15 years? And you literally do have 10 seconds. Well, we're just trying to get more people out into nature and get them connected with the students in Mexico and get people to plant more and more flowers, you know, and more and more gardens in their schoolyards so that we'll have more and more monarchs and, you know, plant milkweed and just basically care about the environment. So I'm hoping the future generation will be, you know, just in touch with their environment and care about nature. 
Molly Hoops of the uh, Monarch Sister Schools program. Thank you for being with us as we create the Emerald Planet.